than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. People believe tall buildings at a single bound. The engine of ship town is now the man of steel. Superman! Hello and welcome to the Superman Forever radio podcast. My name is Bob Fisher. This is a show where I talk about Superman from 1938 all the way up to wherever we are now. <laughs> if this is the first time you join us, I uh, recommend you go back and listen to episode number 78 of this podcast. That's my first as host of the Superman Forever radio podcast. And then I'll tell you everything you need to know about my origin story and uh, Superman, and comic books, etc., etc. Uh, the first 78 episodes were by J. David Weider, uh, the former host and creator of the Superman Forever Radio podcast. Hi, Dave. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to talk along on this intro, because, uh, uh, well, John Wilson stopped by of John Reed's Comics, and uh, we started talking about his comic book read-through project, and we'll get into that a little later. So anyway, I don't want to waste a lot of time babbling here in the first uh, in the opening, uh, so I'll make this really short. But some things I did want to uh, mention br- uh, briefly, quickly, uh, a little rundown, a headline, so to speak. Uh, first of all, it's a podcast that I listened to that uh, I really, really liked a lot, and I think you guys might too. It's from iHeartRadio, and it's called Stealing Superman. S-T-E-A-L-I-N-G, Stealing Superman. And uh, it's an eight-part uh, series, high production values it's iHeartRadio, radio so it's a you know it's a big deal it's research and you know uh, credits at the end with lots of people and stuff so it's a big deal it's called stealing superman i've forgotten the host's name but she does a great job and the uh it's about um the theft of a very famous copy of action comics number one and it goes through the entire story and the life of that action that particular comic book and its very famous owner and how it was stolen, et cetera, et cetera, and where it ended up and what's going on. It's really good. It's called Stealing Superman. So just, you know, search for that uh, wherever you get your pods. Stealing Superman, iHeartRadio. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, lots of podcasts, and which is, I guess, maybe one of the reasons I haven't been doing my own. <laughs> we don't know. But anyway, this is not what you call keeping it short, is it? No. All right, here's a couple of other quick things. Uh, stuff I've been watching that relates to Superman. Uh, I watched the um, uh, League of Super Pets. And this is actually quite funny. I must have been in a bad mood or something, but it didn't, you know, uh, other than the opening with Crypto and and Superman, which was really nice and funny and cute because uh, they really got the dog part down right. Anyone who has owned a dog or had a dog in your life, you'll relate to uh, Crypto quite a bit. 
but for some reason, it just didn't grab me after that. It was a, like slow build up, and I thought it was there. So I kind of bailed on it a little bit, and I posted that on Facebook. And boy, did I get a lot of feedback. Hey, what are you, crazy? It's great. It's wonderful. It's marvelous. You should be... Oh, blah, 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 blah. Really, really. So I thought, wow, this is... This is uh, maybe I missed something. So I went back and uh, and got back into it, and, and this time in a little better frame of mind or something because uh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it's almost like I, I stopped right at the moment where it really picked up. I thought I stopped because it was getting too mopey, too sappy or something. Too It wasn't, you know, it was, I don't know. Anyway. I recommend it. Solid B plus. Uh, it's a it's a good good uh, uh, little movie. The other one I watched that really surprised me was uh, Battle of the Super Sons. This one um, I was expecting nothing really, and got a very entertaining story about uh, the sons of Superman and Batman. Uh, John and uh, um, Damien. I thoroughly enjoyed this. The characters were good. They were on the money. Lots of fun. Highly recommend watching uh, Battle of the Super Sons. Some really good moments in it. Right up to the very end. Okay, uh, so that's really about it. There's more stuff coming down the road. But again, I don't want to spend a lot of time up front here talking about it because... uh, uh, it's a long conversation with John. So email, you can send it to Bob at supermanforever.com and we'll get it on the air if you send me email. But uh, we have more shows coming up uh, this year. This is going to be an interesting year, I think. Uh, it's kind of weird because, you know, we go along for so long and, and uh, while we're reading comics or watching stuff, uh, you know, you just think, God, this sucks. And when are they going to get it back? And we just complain, complain, complain. But it looks like, just from what I'm reading, because I'm not reading uh, current comics except for some specials here and there. Superman Space Age, which I'm going to talk about in a few weeks. A few other things uh, that modern comics, and they're really good. And it looks like now that somebody in charge over there has said, hey... Let's just tell some Superman stories. What do you think? Hmm? Sounds good to me. Kind of like what they're doing with Star Trek. All of a sudden, the stuff that you know had been on the outs, that the other Marvel and Star Wars are just kicking them around. Uh, not right now. Not right now. The movie side of DC, uh, we'll see what they do with Flash, how they decide to cut it and edit it, and what story they want to tell, and... If they use it as a transfer from the previous universe to where they want to take the new characters, we'll see. A lot of, a lot of rumors, but uh, if you really want to know anything about it, check out the Superman homepage at supermanhomepage.com because they don't print rumors over there. Steve Eunice does a great job of keeping that place, uh, you know, latest, greatest updates with facts. And uh, good guy, Steve Eunice. Uh, so, okay. Now, I said that John Wilson is, is on the show today, John M. Wilson. And uh, we had a really long evening 
And uh, this is from the vault. This was before John released uh, his current project, podcast project called Superman in Crisis. I'll play a promo for it in just a second. But uh, John is an amazing human being. And when he puts his mind to something, he, he, he really does it. He just, you know, focuses like a laser beam on it and uh, uh, will find stuff that others may not have. Because uh, uh, I think above all, John's an educator. He loves to read. And then he'll present this information in a way that, that uh, you may not have thought of before. Or even if it is something you've thought of before, you go, well, glad somebody else agrees with me. (laughs) Uh, But this is an interesting conversation. The plan originally, of course, it was only in my head, but the plan was to uh, have John on and talk about his uh, uh, reading reading project, his Superman read-through project. Because at the time, I didn't know he was doing Superman in Crisis. Uh, and he told me that just before we started uh, uh, recording. And I said, oh, well, cool, then then we'll get to that. What we'll do then is, so the plan was to talk about his read-through project by eras. Uh, golden, silver, bronze, then the crisis era leading into his uh, new project. That was the plan. But John and I kind of, Got off the record. <laughs> we got off the script a little bit and just talked Superman. So what I thought was going to be era to era turned almost uh, into decade to decade. And uh, he also got me to go where I did not think I would go on this show. We did talk about um, something that was fresh because he's just getting there. I had just gotten there at the time we recorded this last year. Um, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow? Yeah, I know. So I might have said a few things. <laughs> and then, of course, by the end of the show, we'll, we'll mention John's uh, great podcast called Superman in Crisis. And the reason I say great podcast and mention this is because, like I said, John is an educator. And if you think you knew... Superman in Crisis, and your name is not Michael Bailey, uh, you didn't. You probably didn't know some of the stuff that John's going to tell you uh, in this wonderful podcast. So, what I'll do is now play a little promo uh, for John's show, and uh, then we'll pick up into the conversation. In all his decades of publishing history, One event has affected Superman more than any other. Worlds lived, worlds died, and that was only the beginning. Superman was never the same. Presenting Superman in Crisis. Available weekly from January 3rd, 2022 at com. Thank you so much for having me. This is making me think of our Silver Age Superman, Giant Superman podcast days back in the 
back in the day, five years ago. Yeah, it's been a long time, but man, that was, uh, uh, I was having some fun and that was a good show. Maybe we should do that again sometime or at least pick up an annual and do a special here and there. Those yeah, were, I, I could those definitely delve back into that. I don't know about a regular thing, but, uh, some yeah. some revisits to the Silver Age. I'm always down for. Yeah, I agree. I'm not. I'm not sure I could do you know a regular thing again. I'm getting old over here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think we you know sometime we should see each other online and just grab a comic and talk about it. <laughs> There's a novel idea, right? All right, but like I told the audience, you have had the reason you're here now is not just as a friend and a buddy and a Superman compadre, but um, you have done an interesting project that I have never known anyone to do. But I think it's very John Wilson. <laughs> is, is, is uh, Gee, this looks like a good series, and I'm reading, let's see, what issue is this? Number 37? Okay, I'm going to go back to number one and go and see what this whole thing is about. And uh, John Wilson started with Action Comics number one, 1938, and has read every Superman comic up to and through 1986's John Byrne. You haven't gotten to the Byrne reboot yet. I just read the second issue of that today. Okay. Well, we're not going to talk about him. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I mean, I I like the Man of Steel, but we do not have to talk about that person. Not yet. Not yet. We'll do that some other time. What we want to talk about is the 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 process itself. The whole what has John learned? Let's start at some some highlights. But you have literally read. Now let's look, let's look, let's get into this. Okay, Superman. Well, into mm-hmm. action. You read every action from nineteen thirty eight comics and Super- Superman. Okay, what about Lois and Jimmy? Did you get into those? Yep, Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. Okay, um, you can't forget World's Finest Comics, which started out as World's Best Comics, but was preceded by New York World's Fair Comics. Exactly. And how many of those did you did you read? The World's Fair one. Mm-hmm. I read okay. the two World's Fair stories, and I read all through World's Finest comics up until the end of that where they broke up. Okay, so, oh, good. Um, so even when it was a comic where there would be a Superman story and a Batman story. Yeah, I didn't read all the Batman solos, but I did read all the Superman stories. Okay, I, and I do then want to when, they got, the when it became a real team book. Right. You, you could read those. Oh, okay, good. Um, and uh, there was, of course, Superboys start out in more fun comics. And then you read all of those. Adventure comics, yep. There were seven of those. Then he goes over to Adventure uh, because more fun comics actually lost all the superheroes and became just a funny animals book, I think. Yes. And so some of their superheroes continued on in Adventure comics. And then eventually he gets his own title around 1950, I think. 51, maybe. Mm-hmm. So all of those, um, <laughs> Justice League of America, I think, is the next new title. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was in and out of those. When they needed to sell, they'd put him on the cover, and for maybe the first, you know, issues here and there. But uh, uh, yeah, he's in the majority of them. But especially in those early Gardner Fox, right. Mike Sikowski stories, yeah, they wanted to special to, to to 
put the spotlight on less popular characters. Right. So Superman, Batman will be on the cover and officially part of the team, but a lot of times would figure very lightly in the story. Exactly. Which, for some um, reason, didn't seem to bother me at the time. I was really interested in all those new Gardner Fox and uh, uh, characters, and I loved the DC characters. I was there with this. This was this was <laughs> new. You know? Yeah, because that starts in 1960, and you're, what, seven years old then? Yeah, I was old? eight years old in 1960. It was right in the heart of my my comic book beginnings were uh, probably two years earlier to that. In that 58 is when I really started to could buy my own comics. I was six. And that's like where they officially marked the Silver Age starting for Superman with Action 241 is in mm-hmm. 1958. So right. your comics career is from the begin, literal, literal beginning of the Silver Age. Pretty much. I made, a, I made in one of my episodes a few, uh, I say a few months ago, but it was a few episodes ago. Let's do that way. Because it was a couple of years now, but uh, in uh, every once in a while, I'll do a Superboy story here on Superman Forever. And mm-hmm. for the first one I picked was his first appearance in More Fun Comics. There is an argument to be made that that is the first Silver Age comic book. I would say it's an Earth One story, not a Silver Age story. Does he, do you hear the difference there? Yeah, I get your difference. I get your yeah, difference. So I, I know it's it's a very nerdy distinction, <laughs> but 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 to me, Silver Age versus Golden Age is like publication trends, storytelling styles, and that sort of thing. Gotcha. Whereas Earth One and Earth Two, those are continuities. Gotcha. And the Super Boy stories of the late forties and early fifties are, like with Superman, of a very different caliber yeah. than the Superboy stories of the 60s. <laughs> yeah, very, very so even though Even though we always think of Superboy as being an Earth-1 character, there's definitely Golden Age Superboy and Silver Age Superboy. Agreed, agreed. That's kind um, of, you know, but since only the Silver Age Superman was Superboy. Right. Yeah, because for a long time, they're going along side by side, but they're not. But they're not the sharing the same history. Exactly. Superman is not referring to himself as Superboy, and the Kents in the Superman comics look like the American Gothic painting, yes. while the Kents in the Superboy stories look like the Mon Pa Kent that we all know and love. Exactly. It's it's an amazing period of time. I actually call that time period post World War II to about 1952 to four in that area. Um, uh, the atomic age. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that because it's not really golden age and it's not silver age. No, you know, honestly, most of the gold was falling off as soon as the war ended. Yes, uh, that the the post war superhero comics they're funny didn't books. immediately drop off for a while, but they 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 started to drop off, and they do become more funny books in that little period. Superman is becomes a comedy. He, it's a comedy, it, exactly, and uh, from the way he looks and uh, is drawn. The covers, exactly. You've seen the cover where he um, he drops one of Lois's rolls that she's just cooked on his foot. Yes. And he's like hopping up and down on a foot. Yes. I remember whenever my daughter was a child, she's looking at this and saying, Dad, what about this cover is supposed to make me want to read this book? because she has no patience for a silly one panel comic comedy superman style right and you know i can understand that i I can totally understand someone in these generations of today will have a problem with with some of that that's why some of the continuity people the younger people have a problem with just silver age because in the very same comic 
where they have three different Superman stories, they could all be different continuities. They could mm, counteract yeah. what was said in story one in story two. Uh, it's the the Superman family did a lot of that because the Superman family was you know you'd have Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen and Supergirl stories, but then you'd also have Mister and Mrs. Superman, right. the married Clark and Lois from Earth Two, doing stuff. And um, so just to just kind of finish out the scope of the project conversation, mm-hmm. so. When the Legion comes along and when Supergirl comes along, it's a while before they get their own titles. But I did include, of course, a Supergirl title. And when the Superboy title becomes Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, and it eventually splits into Legion of Superheroes and the New Adventures of Superboy, I kept reading both. Because to me, all the way up until the end of the crisis, Legion is Superman adjacent. Gotcha. I'm not really sure if you can consider it Superman adjacent after the crisis because there's no connection to Superboy anymore. Right. But um, I'm that was not my favorite time in comics. I didn't know what they were doing. I I thought what what's going on when you're reading these things, uh, and this is another topic I want to get into with you too because there is a difference reading these issues month to month, sometimes mm-hmm. month to every other month. With some of them, we're not monthly titles. But you were reading them every day. So Mm -hmm. a storyline to you could be a week or two, where for me it was a year. Right. I had a time to, you know, uh, get this stuff, let it sink in a little bit. But it's got to be different having the knowledge that you have about the characters but then going back and reading their early stuff and w- actually watching on a daily basis and sometimes it's jarring it's not a it's not a smooth transition from uh this guy to that guy it could be jarring just depending on who sometimes uh, uh inked Kurt Swan Schaffenberger right. was pretty consistent throughout Schaffenberger and Kurt the two Kurtz two Kurt Swan and Kurt Schaffenberger right. sort of define the Superman look for the 60s yes. if anyone else came along it is Superman story they try to make it look as much like those two as possible Al Plestino um, yeah 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 because a lot because Al Plestino he's he's at the end of his career in the 60s mm-hmm. and and Wayne Boring is the end of his career in the 60s. And mm. I don't like the Wayne Boring of the 60s. I really like the Wayne Boring of the 40s. I love 40s and early 50s Wayne Boring. But whenever he's, uh, he, he, he starts living up to his name after a while. Yeah, he does. And, it um, gets a little stale. That last story he did where Superman fought not Shazam, the like evil person with the, the different letters making up his name where he gets all of his powers. And it's obviously a riff on Shazam, but yeah. it doesn't look like him. It's just the same idea. Right. And I, I'm pretty sure that was a two or three issue story, but that was Wayne Boring's last, last story. And for a while, at least. Yeah. I um, thought it was interesting that his last cover for DC was a Lois Lane book. I thought that was interesting. Oh yeah. But, uh, but those, but <clears throat> I think the interesting thing about, and we'll, just touch on Al Plastino for a second. Here's a guy who started way back in the 40s with, with DC and made it as long as practically any of them did. But mm-hmm. if you look at an Al Plastino drawing from the 40s and 50s particularly, it looks like he's trying to do Wayne Boring. He has yeah. some of the same poses, the same style, the big barrel chest, 
But as he got into the 50s and 60s, where Wayne Boring didn't change his at all, he kept trying to do Wayne Boring. Um, Al Plastino started to look a little bit like Kurt Swan, or tried to. Mm-hmm. He never really got that, of course, if you look close. But you'd be amazed how many people. I'll show a frame, uh, a panel to, and they'll say, yeah, I love Kurt Swan. I'll go, no, that's not Kurt Swan. That's I think that Plastino. conversation came up a few times back in the giant Superman days, because that was, you know, most of those stories were very late 50s or early 60s, and mm-hmm. they... You know, there were a lot of Plastino stories in there, but he was kind of aping Curse One. Plastino sort of lives up to his name in the plastic sense that he would like mold himself to whatever was the popular style. Whoever the popular style was. I wouldn't have been surprised if they said back in that time when when they got uh, Kirby to come over that they said, okay, now you're going to look like that. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Well, and of course, uh, Kirby was infamously, if you like, Faces were redrawn by Kurt Swan. Right, right. Uh, I, I, I don't know if all of that is true or not. Some of it you can tell it's obviously not his face. Mm-hmm. Um, one they should have done that with. No, I won't go there. Modern guys, let it go. Let it go. Well, Siegel did it back in the 40s, too, because whenever Siegel was hiring everybody to, to fill in for him, he would go back and read his Superman's face. The so faces, Swan right. wasn't the first one to do it. Right. But, um, you know, you get to Schuster. you get to the fourth world, and uh, I said Schuster, right? I meant you said Siegel. Yeah, Schuster. Schuster. Of course, Siegel's not drawing anything. <laughs> right. right. I read all the fourth world stuff because a I'd never read it all the way through, and b early fourth world whenever Jack Kirby was doing it was Superman adjacent because one of the main four planks of that saga was Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen, yes sir. And as Superman met the Forever People in their first issue, and yeah. so. It, I love uh, that they used Jimmy to do that when they when they they offered him Superman. From what I understand, they offered uh, Kirby one of the big guys, Superman or Batman or something, and he said, "No, I think I'll start over here." Because Jimmy yeah, was numbers were just their failing. Selling title to, to, to and at that it. point it was Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, he was yeah. going down fast, and. Uh, People and he eventually got remolded into the uh, the Superman family title. And it was his numbering that they continued from the Superman I, family. I'd always been I'd always heard that it was Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen that got folded together in Superman family. No one ever told me that Supergirl was also one of the ones that got canceled at the same time. Yes. And folded into that series. Yes. So um Supergirl did often did not have her own home. Mm-hmm. I should say rarely had her own home. Yeah, during, unless you want to call it action. She had the backstory yeah, back of action, action for a long like, time. Like, you know, her name on a title or but, whatever. Yeah, her name on a title. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you when you decided to do this, you, mm-hmm. had a, you had a show at the time, probably, Golden Age Superman. Yeah. So was that the was that the colonel was that the had you read Superman was he a thing with you before you said hey, I think I'll do a podcast about the Golden Age <laughs> Superman It was a little bit the reverse um I did the podcast after having gotten through some Golden Age cuz what happened was okay so I'm sitting in my call center job and um the the one of the guys I work with knows I like superheroes and knows I like superhero comics even though they're not reading a whole lot of them. Well, 
the Iron Man movie had come out. So that mm. kind of reignited my superhero comic reading. Um, he was reading Green Lantern. He was reading Jeff Johns' Green Lantern. He's like, man, you've got to check out this Green Lantern stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. So, of course, what he's telling me is I should go check out Jeff Johns' Green Lantern. Mm. What I did was go check out All American Comics 16. <laughs> Started there. Well, that's not Jeff Johns at all. <laughs> no, no, that's obviously Alan Scott and everything else. And he, the next, when the guy saw what I was doing, he was like, whatever, John. And, but, <laughs> I was also thinking, you know, I would like to to pick up one of the two big names in DC. I don't know whether to read Superman or Batman. And I thought about how we had read a lot of Batman as kids because my brother collected Batman comics. And I, mm-hmm. other than a story here and there and reading the Death Trade paperback, I didn't know a lot about Superman's actual storyline. Mm. So I did some reading online trying to figure out where to start. I had no idea. Crisis on Infinite Earths, pre-crisis, post-crisis, infinite crisis, one year later, none of that meant a thing to me. And it's hard to jump in then. Yeah. You can't really jump in then. I started with Action Comics 1 because that was the beginning. Mm. And then after doing some research, I found that the Man of Steel one was also a pretty fresh beginning. So I started reading there, and I was kind of reading them in parallel for a while. Mm -hmm. And like five minutes later, Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor started their From Crisis to Crisis podcast. So I discovered that after I had read the first year and a half or so of of Superman's post-crisis story. Mm -hmm. So I was also reading the early stuff and enjoying the action comics. And I started out with the Superman Chronicles volumes before I, you know, found other sources and everything Mm because it was eventually run out. But um, I was enjoying those stories and eventually the podcasting bug. And it's a virus I'm sure you're aware of. Oh, yes. Um, it's hard to sure. get rid of. Yeah, and masks don't really stop this one. No. Um, I haven't found a vaccination for it either. <laughs> no, they haven't. No. And um, I had already been doing some Spider-Man podcasting, and I was really enjoying the From Crisis to Crisis show. And I was like, I want to do a solo show about the beginning of Superman. And at the time, I totally envisioned myself podcasting through all of his history. Mm. You know, eventually Golden Age Superman would become Silver Age Superman because that's how alchemy works. Right. (laughs) and it didn't happen. I got through about two and a half years, about uh, roughly 30 issues of Action Comics, 30 months of Superman stories before the podcast went by the wayside. Yeah. It's still out there. It's at goldenageSuperman.libson.com. It's hard to find in search engines, but the website's there and the files are there. And you I still have it on my iPod. <laughs> hey, it's still there. Um, it's still there. And that's whenever I... Cause it, at the initial reading, I didn't do all the supplementary media, like radio show, newspaper strips. Right. So I still haven't done all of that. So mm. if there's any if there's any Superman thing from the entire first 50 years that I have not experienced, it's the newspaper strips and radio shows. And so that's the fault I need to fill in at some point. Well, the newspaper you'll find if you start getting into that. Uh, my wife, a few years ago for Christmas, gave me the Superman dailies. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I look through those, the Superman dailies. So they're all in black and white, you know. Right. Uh, but it's a lot of the same stories you're reading in the comics. It's the same, <laughs> it's the same stuff. But uh, and here's something interesting. Uh, 140, Superman 142, where uh, Superman goes back and visits Krypton. 
and falls in love and was going to get married and all this. Uh, but of course, no, something happens. He gets on a f- movie ship, movie rocket ship, and it takes off and back to Earth. But that particular story in the comic was drawn by Wayne Boring. In this, in the dailies, it was drawn by Kurt Swan in black and white. So you've kind of got, and he inked his own, apparently, for the newspaper. So it's a full Kurt Swan number 142. Uh, I made a little black and white comic out of that. I should send it to you. It's very funny. But for people who want to do that, you can you can look at those dailies and see what would a, what would a, your favorite story have looked like drawn by the other guy. Right. Well, here it is. Well, it's not my favorite story, but you know what I'm saying. It's it's one of the top. I'm sure it's somebody's favorite. Yeah, it's one of the top 20 stories of all time, written by Jerry Siegel, drawn by, uh, as I said, Mr. Boring. But uh, great, great story. And a lot of the um, the stories in those first three issues of Superman were straight reprints from the newspaper from the yeah newspaper and uh even in superman number one was an extension or uh, right. uh of the story that was in action comics and i like the one in superman one better it's a longer story it's uh i do too because you yeah. know you're, you're thrown in the middle of stuff in the first issue and you yeah. don't really know what's going on and this like fleshes out the origin shows exactly. him get his job yeah. You know, gives you an actual beginning of the character before he saves the woman from getting executed. Exactly. And uh, I thought it was a really good story, and you can see that Siegel loved it. I mean, you could just tell. he. I, I just think Siegel and Schuster loved doing what they were doing in those first 10 years or so, before mm-hmm. all the crap started, um, although it kind of started early. Um but I think it's just it's just amazing because uh, I like you I had the archives or the chronicles of Superman. Let's see, the Golden Age I think was archives, and they're in color. And then I got yeah, they, did, they did different series because they re- they they did the same material with different treatments. Yeah. So there were the archives, which um, I we had the first couple of Batman archive hardcovers when we were kids. Right. Um, and for whatever whatever reason, probably because of the Joker's presence, but the the Batman archives start with Batman number one, and the Superman archives start with Action, Action number, number one. Yeah, or it might be the reverse. Now that I'm thinking about it out loud, but it, it's it's you know one of them starts with the beginning, and one of them starts with the beginning of its title. Hmm. And those are not yeah, the same it's Superman <laughs> archives start with uh, it's it's Action Comics. It's almost all okay. Action Comics. Uh, until it gets later into the like, when is it? Book nine or something? Book eight or nine? Because yeah. the first couple of years or so. Well, what am I? It's a year. It's Action a year. Comics was thirty eight. Superman was thirty nine. Yeah, about because a year the, later. Um, the the Superman one and Action thirteen came out the same month. Okay, there you go. And uh, that's how the archives are. So the first part of the book is all action, and then when you get into the Third, fourth, fifth. I have the first ten or so. I think that's all they did, isn't it? Ten or eleven of the archives. I don't remember because there's so much. Yeah. It's so much. It's, it's been a while. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, and, you know, some people will will read the separate titles separately, but to me, it's all. Even though the the stories are coming out in different books, right? It's all one thing. It's all one. It's a Superman story. 
Right. And so to, to do like, I'm going to read through action or I'm going to read through Superman and not include the other. I mean, okay, everyone's different and different strokes for different. It's <laughs> right. not judging you. I just, I just don't understand it. Yeah. I couldn't <laughs> do that like, either. Yeah, me, even it, as a kid, I couldn't do that. If I was short on money, mm-hmm. even though maybe at the time I was really into, uh, um, the new Green Lantern. Let's say I'm really into the new Green Lantern, right? But I go to the spinner rack, and I don't have enough to buy six. I can only buy five. I'm going to buy the Lois or the Jimmy instead of the Green Lantern. Even yeah. though at that time I was more into Green Lantern than I was Jimmy and Lois, I, I couldn't help it. I, I felt like that was cheating. Like, no, no, no. It's Superman. Then everybody else. Even if it's Lois and Jimmy. And to me, modern people say, oh, I can't stand those old Lois Lane or Jimmy Olsen. Lois is so stupid. How could any, How could she be the best reporter? How blah, 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 blah. That's, it's a Lucy show. It's a sitcom, folks. It really is. The Silver Age sitcom, I mean, Silver Age Superman is a comic book sitcom. Yes. And, you know... As far as like, you know, things that I, I learned on this journey, one of the things that I learned on this journey is the how stupid is Lois Lane? Yes. She's not. <laughs> she got lied to so over many times. And over and, and over. Over again. And, and in her title. years of her life proving beyond any shadow of a doubt 100 percent positive yeah. clark kent is superman nailed it's him. obvious it's right there yeah and then clark says well actually here's my super ventriloquism and there's superman outside the window right yeah now. exactly and so you know the modern day voc- uh, vernacular we call that gaslighting and it's frowned upon in most branches of society right but it's what clark did every day to every Lois. day especially <laughs> in her title her yeah. title was a flat-out I Love Lucy sitcom with uh, Ricky Ricardo being played this time by Clark Kent slash Superman. <laughs> no, Lucy, you cannot come to the show with me. No, it, it was a it, it's a, it's a sitcom, flat-out. Every once in a while, there'd be a fun or a serious story. But even when they were trying to make a serious point, they would do it in uh, in a sitcom fashion. I mean, look at Kurt Schaffenberger is an incredible artist. And what he did with physicality in those Lois comics with the expressions and the body movements, uh, particularly of Superman reacting to all the weirdness around him. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, at the time, sometimes, you know, you'd get a Kurt Swan cover, open it, and it'd be anybody else. You would go, oh, man. But I got to a point where, okay, it's Kurt Schaffenberger. Cool. <laughs> you know, okay. I didn't mind Kurt Schaffenberger. Uh, you know, some. Go ahead. I vaguely remember not loving his stuff when I first started. Yeah. But. It's only vague, and it must have been a long time ago, because it quickly grew on me. Yeah. And he he's able to do so much with character faces and, um, you know, face acting and stuff with, yes. with his drawing. It's just, it's so emotive, mm-hmm. and it's mostly lighthearted, and yeah. it's mostly ca- slightly cartoonish. Yes. But 
you can also get some really serious, you know, so some some drama in there. And it, it's melodrama because it's a sitcom. It's a sitcom, but it's, right? It's still it still really works, and I really, um, if I were to pin down a favorite Silver Age artist, mm. it might be the chef. Mm-hmm. Well, he's just he's. You know, as I got older, I started to really appreciate him more and more to where I just, I love looking back at those old Kurt Schaffenberger comics. And even late in his career, when he was doing the new adventures of Superboy with Paul mm-hmm. Kupperberg, uh doing the writing, uh, those are good stories and not as cartoony. It was the Kurt Schaffenberger style. You can tell it a mile away. It's Kurt. But it's got a little more serious. It's the time sometimes when he would do a Superman story where you can see he's, he's straight up. It's more serious. The, the poses, the facial expressions. And to be honest, that's one of the things I miss about modern comics is, is um, I think they spend a little too much time on getting all the muscles right and very little time with the face that you know who that is just by looking at the face. Um, you know, okay, yeah, you can draw anatomy really well, but what's he feeling right now? Mm -hmm. I have no idea other than the box that told me. Uh, Well, the the New Adventures of Superboy story uh, series was an interesting eye-opener for me hmm. because, you know, as as a, a... Yeah, I'm going to use it. As a Man of Steel apologist... As someone who sticks up for and roots for the Man of Steel film and that interpretation of Superman. One of the things that, you know, often got, you know, voiced is, you know, complaints about the way Jonathan Kent was handled in the story. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to get into all that, except to say that the idea of Jonathan Kent being like this moral center for Clark's upbringing, Mm -hmm. that was the new adventures of Superboy. Yes. That starts in the 1980s. So you have 1946 or 44 was the first Superboy story. Smallville got introduced in 1950. And you have 30 years of stories about Superboy. And the most Pa Kent can do is like, put on a Superboy costume and, and get superpowers for an issue mm-hmm. or spank super baby and break his hand <laughs> or, you know, just do all these really silly things because right. Superboy is the point of the story. His upbringing and his, his parenting was never the point of the story. And that's fine. All my point here is that this thing that seems to be like mm-hmm. the really must never lose essence of Jonathan Kent didn't exist for the first 30 years of Superboy no. stories. Mike Zumo, <laughs> Mike Zumo, who does the Man of Screen podcast over on uh, Two True Freaks, mm-hmm. he and I are, were working on, we haven't worked, we just talk about it behind the scenes. He wants to come on and talk about, uh, on one of my Superboy episodes, uh, the whole idea of the Kents being the worst parents ever. <laughs> anywhere <laughs> ever because <laughs> we hear all this stuff oh it's because of the kent's upbringing that clark kent and superman and oh is a well not if you read the comics i did when i was a kid right <laughs> don't think about it just <laughs> panel to panel find just the joke and move on 
Jessica with it. It's Superman comics, right? It's Superman comics in the 60s. You know, but the ones that stand out to me are the ones that just kind of, you know, blew me away. And that's where I want to kind of get to now in in your read-through, is the artwork obviously changes from, you know, there's, there's nothing similar between uh, Joe Schuster and Kurt Swan. Those two are right. entirely different. And Wayne Boring is different, uh, unless... You know, Wayne Boring is one of those, and I've said this before, he, he came out of the Schuster studio, and his first uh, few Superman stories, he was just copying Joe Schuster. That, I feel like he out-Schustered Schuster in some ways. <laughs> he made him look really good. Yeah, and he he upped Superman's muscularity. And you know, facial and expressions. He, right, and the, the, dy- the dy- dynamism of the character's physicality and just how he moves and what he does and the power behind Superman is much more apparent in early Wayne Boring than it was in a lot of Schuster, which is not to downplay Schuster uh, at all. Oh, just, no, not at all. Ha- having, having, you know, read those comics, I just was kind of blown away by those early newspaper strips with Wayne Boring's artwork. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, the, the art has changed a lot. We're, I don't, uh, go ahead and finish his head, sorry. Well, it was dramatic. Uh, in those, I mean, they made Superman almost in every panel. He just didn't stand there and talk. He was into them and talking. I mean, he was the muscularity. The, the like you were saying, the whole body language said, "I am Superman." It you can almost hear Bud Collier when you're reading those comics, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of fun. But then we get into you know the Atomic Age, and it's a little goofy, and stuff gets thrown around all over the place and there was uh, they, they they found this formula of storytelling that once i realized it was a formula mm-hmm. i began to cite it yes and see it everywhere and the formula was let's figure out a narrative framework to give superboy or superman three super feats He's going to do three super feats in this eight-page story to progress our tiny little plot yep. forward, and then it's all wrapped up at the end. Three. and In threes. Yeah, it was always, it, literally, three, three, three. And I didn't, I don't know when that started, but I know I noticed it. And it was in the 1950s, and it starts to fade as you're moving into 1955, six and seven, because 1957 is when you're really gearing up for the new energy of storytelling that becomes the silver age. Right. Um, but those early fifties are, there's a lot of sameness and a lot of it was following a f- various formulas and that formula stuck out in my mind. <laughs> That's a funny one. Uh, but it's, it rings very true because things always happen in threes in these stories. Have you ever noticed in almost every show, every story you've ever seen, it's the third one. Somebody, they're looking through files for the card. No, no. Oh, wait. Hey, come over here. Here's this one. It's always the third <laughs> one. Always the third one. Um, Tell Columbo that. It'll make his life easier. Yeah, no. Whoever you're talking to the third time, Col- uh So when you get into the 60s, now we get into the late 50s, uh, and things do start to change quite a bit. And now we're seeing, along with issue 117, of Superman, Kurt Swan takes over and stays there forever as the cover artist. And then the sheer amount of work 
done. At one time I looked up all this. The cover's done by Kurt Swan from 1958 to, until 86, and, and it's staggering. And the number of stories drawn by those three guys, Al Plastino, George, uh, Wayne Boring, and uh, Kurt Swan. George, who's George? George? George. Um, George? It's not Bell. Um, George. I don't know a George artist, do I? Hmm. Anyway, don't know I'll why. Think about it. I'll think of it because, yeah. yeah, he's there. Okay. But, you know, but that it, it is amazing. If you go to Mike's Amazing World of Comics and just look up, you can sort things there. It's He's got a nice little system. You can actually look up an artist, click on an artist, and it'll show you who he drew for and how long in the list of his stories and who wrote. That's how I found out. I mean, I was an adult before I found out that my favorite um, 60s writer, 50s and 60s writer, uh, was not necessarily uh, Siegel, as much as I love some of Siegel's work. Um, it, it's Ed Hamilton, Edmund Hamilton. Edmund Hamilton, yeah, from the from the sci-fi magazine oh, to come over and done some Superman. Because I was reading sci-fi magazines as a little kid, too, where they actually gave these guys credit. But mm-hmm. I w- wasn't smart enough at, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old to say, hey, that sounds like the story I just read over there. Well, you find <laughs> out, Mort Weisinger would say, Ed, you know that story you wrote for me back in whatever? Yeah, let's put Superman in it and do it again. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, and reusing stories was definitely something they were doing in the fifties because the idea at the time was that whoever's reading comics now wasn't reading comics five years ago. Exactly. There was a five to six year turnover, and they were pretty much right up to a point. And here's my theory: uh, it's my generation that changed it all. It's us boomers mm-hmm. because we didn't stop reading them. In our five year, we were supposed to stop, and we didn't. So, you see, and and Marvel caught on pretty quickly that hey, these kids who were reading five years ago, they're still reading, but they want something else. They want more. And I, I've often said, you know, man, I wish I was around in 1938 to pick up that first Action Comics because wow. Oh, oh. Well, that's from me today, knowing how much I like Superman. I was there in 1962, 63, 64 at the Marvel burst when they came right. on. I could have gotten probably an amazing uh, Spider, uh, you know, uh, an astounded, the, his first thing, Spider-Man's first thing. I, I was there. Amazing Fantasy 15. There you go. Amazing Fantasy 15. I was there when Fantastic Four and Iron Man and all the Marvel guys were invented. I was there and thought, mm, I don't know. I don't know. Looks pretty weird. I know these guys. I think I'll, you know, I've only got 50 cents. What am I going to do? What am I gonna well, do? fast forward to the uh, to the next continuity. Michael Bailey tells a story about how he was, he held the Man of Steel number one in his hand. <laughs> That's right. And put it back on the shelf because Optimus Prime was going to get killed in the Transformers number 24. And you had to have that. Had to have. You had to read that one. And you never came around to Marvel so much. But Michael did eventually come around to Superman a a year or so later. Yeah. I think that's funny because here's, here's, you know, Michael Bailey. 
the authority of that generation of of comics and uh he said mm, i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> so it's just amazing their heads wherever our heads are uh it just didn't appeal to me where i have a cousin had unfortunately he's passed away was um about uh 14 15 months older than me so a little over a year older than me uh and he stopped reading dc comics and when I went to visit him one summer in, you know, our families get together, we went down. He was my favorite cousin. There's a stack of Marvel comics. There's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think that was his favorite. He liked that kind of stuff. Uh, there was Nick Fury and and uh, um, um, Fantastic Four. I mean, it was all this Marvel stuff. And I said, what is... So it became a tradition after that that every summer I'd take a box of DC with me. He'd have his... Marvel, or if he came up to see us, he'd bring a box, whatever he had, and we'd read them. We didn't swap them, mm-hmm. but for the two weeks we were together, we were reading each other's comics, so he could get caught up in DC World. I'd get kind of caught up in Marvel World, although I enjoyed it as reading it, but as soon as I put it down, it it, it was not continuity to me. It was not like, okay, i got to get more of that. Right. Marvel just didn't... You know, which is interesting because the the style of storytelling, the intent is the reverse. Hmm. Marvel is doing their open ended storytelling a lot of time, where you have plots that you know don't resolve in one issue that right. continue on into the next issue, and they were doing that years, yeah, way before. years before DC caught on. Yeah. Throughout Superman's continuity, ongoing stories from issue to issue were never the norm. Yeah, it was not. It was not, and they did. They certainly did some arcs, especially once you get to the mid to late seventies. But the arcs would start in one issue Mm -hmm. and end in another issue. You wouldn't have this. The characters just constantly going from book to book to book, like you had in Spider Man or in Fantastic Four in the mid sixties. One of the longest ones that actually started with technically the Silver Age kind of uh, 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 was that Sandman. Ep, uh, episode issue where it did take you know four issues or so uh, that sand creature that and it was all the, oh yeah the part of the more thing that one was probably the most open ended subplot Superman's ever done ever done and that was the the whole part of him you know they wanted to get rid of kryptonite and they showed him eating kryptonite and the sand creature was taking his powers and it was a copy of him but it was made up of sand and i thought that was a terrific and i thought wow you guys should do more of this this was fun i like that (laughs) but uh i still like reading things from beginning to end Mm -hmm. you know i like uh uh the whole issue especially today where i don't know how you do that because you're looking at sixty dollars for a story if you're buying them at basically current price at regular street price and the story goes on for 12 or more issues you're looking at a $60 investment in that story Mm -hmm. that's a lot (laughs) (laughs) it is indeed a lot yeah well now let's let's get back into that because this this just amazes me to no end in the silver age when we get up to uh, all the silver, because we got gold age is very different than what I consider the the atomic age, and I think it's got its own heading now, atomic age in the books. It's considered a real thing now. Yeah, in a lot of the publication lines, they'll, they'll use that division. Yeah, yeah, 
uh, post-World War II up to about um, uh, mid-50s. Mid-50s. Yeah. And, uh, but even the, the mid to late 50s, we're starting to get into the, the Silver Age, and these guys are starting to, you know, uh, stake out their territory. And DC's the king. DC is the absolute king in comic books. Because uh, you figure in the late 50s, there is no such thing as a Marvel. No. There's there's Atlas, if you even know them as Atlas. Mm-hmm. Um, you have some of your, what we would consider lesser publishers, but they were certainly cranking out some comics. Dell was cranking out comics. Mm-hmm. I remember reading, um, what's that Native American character's name? Turok? Chirac. Son of Stone. Yes, I read, I read a lot of Chirac, Son of Stone from Dell. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading the uh, the ads because at the time in the 50s, comic books were were kind of considered, you know, not so great. No, they were that terrible was, things. They for, were, that was, you know, socially unacceptable. So Dell ran ads in their comics saying Dell comics are good comics. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And by the good, they did not mean like quality of story. They meant morality. morality. <laughs> and they also did TV. Dell had TV titles. Uh, and they yeah, worked the and thing with D- Dell was the Disney outlet, too. Yeah, because I read Zorro, uh, Lone Ranger. Um, a lot of the things I was watching on TV, I could get with Dell comics. Uh, Harvey Comics uh, was almost straight funny book cartoon stuff, uh, but I enjoyed them immensely. Charlton so Comics of, had a couple of superheroes that I was reading: The Fly, The Jaguar, and uh, Carlton. Dick, that's when Ditko did Captain Adam. Right, right. Um, so DC was, had done some some sci-fi characters that would eventually get incorporated into their superhero world, but like Captain Comet, I think started in 1950. Yes, uh, John Jones, the Manhunter from Mars, totally was, changed his character from his origin uh, to what he eventually became. Mm-hmm. I love so those early ones. <laughs> he's an early. Not quite Silver Age back up in Detective Comics. It's a it's the detective story with an alien twist to it. That's it. He was um, a detective, a private detective with an alien twist. Yeah. So some of the things that start you know signaling a transition are the Comics Code. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Superman's world, the Superman TV show, which really, if you watch that first season or two, is very much an adaptation of Golden Age Superman. Like yeah. that's. That's a yeah. Siegel Schuster TV show if you if you watch it really in the first season yes, especially. It yes, it is. But Jack Larson's portrayal of Jimmy Olsen, a character who had hardly ever even been seen in the comics, but was very popular from the radio show and from the movie serials. Um, he was so popular in the TV show that he got his own comic book. That's exactly so, why he got his own comic. 1954 starts in Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen right at the same time as the comics code. Um, in order to keep charging that same dime for comics, they had to cut the page count for World's Finest Comics. And rather than cut Superman or cut Batman, they combined them into a single feature. But what had been a 96-page book when it started out was reduced to 32 pages like everything else. Mm. And it had a Superman-Batman team up along with one or two backups. Um, but 
really the the quality of the stories themselves in the Superman stories didn't start to shift until more like 1957. And that's when you get more science fiction in the Superman stories. That's when the idea of him having an emotional connection to Krypton right. and his father started coming back in more. Right. Uh, Superboy um, eventually meets the Legion. Um, and so in 1958, whenever DC says this is the start of the Silver Age with the um, – the giant key in the the uh, fortress of solitude story things had been cooking to that point for about a year and yeah for the next 1958 until i'd say 65 you're starting to notice a bit of a flag you have this height of superman storytelling energy mm-hmm. where auto bender comes in and starts doing a lot of the stuff he did with the captain marvel books bringing in a superman family of characters right with a girl and a dog and <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah you get the, the um the, the various flavors of kryptonite during that time you get the bizarro series it blew my mind when i found out that bizarro had his own series in adventure comics <laughs> For like a good couple of years. 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 I know. God. And, and I would have hated to have had to write that. Out of, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying I would have hated to be the writer of bizarro stories. Yeah. I, I, they were just, they had gotten to be too much from the original, the original character. And then somebody said, hey, that was nice, but don't kill him. We can use him. We need him back. That's funny. Kids like him. But uh, let's uh, pretend that Superboy didn't murder him. Yeah, let's pretend. Uh, but he did save that little blind girl. His ashes fall on her, and she got her sight back from bizarro death dust. Yeah. So, and in uh, continuity wise, of course, Superboy did still murder him. It was a Superman era that they brought him back but right. kids loved it the idea of all the reversals that oh. you know good things were bad and bad things were and good the letter columns full of well you made a mistake he said yes when he meant no wouldn't that be the backwards version well right and pay for books at a library and steal for things from a store <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly exactly uh and that went on for a couple of years and eventually the legion of superheroes strip replaced it but yeah that was one of the eye-opening things uh uh, that to me was a big turning point too in just the history of dc comics the the uh invention of an inclusion in a regular series was the legion of superheroes uh Mm -hmm. you know i i still think my personal sweet pot sweet pot sweet spot is the uh period between 1958 and 68 maybe 67, okay. 68. Uh, I can see why when you go back and read through some of those stories uh, of the late 60s, why the 1970, um, you know, the what they were trying to do in 70 to make him they relevant. They needed to shake things up. Yeah, they needed to shake things up. And they did for a little while, had some fun stories, but then it got... It, it got uh, a little dated again. But see, but to me, I never thought Kurt Swan got dated. I always thought some of the stories were getting a little, I don't know, it just wasn't doing it for me. But I never lost, you know, Kurt Swan. I always thought this is going to be a good story because it's going to have Kurt Swan art in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was not always the case. 
But then we do get to the late 60s, which is um, Marvel now is just knocking it out of the park in, in the late 60s. They're doing long-form stories. They're doing adult stories. They're basically saying to hell with the, the, the code. And then DC said, well, if Marvel can get away with it, and I think it was like 1968 that the Green Arrow, Green Lantern story uh, of uh, Speedy becoming a drug addict, that, that kind of changed everything. And uh, then DC realized, with or without the code, we can, we can go some other places. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do that with their Superman title as much as they did with Batman and um, some of the other characters. But as a, as a, the first three little segments gold atomic and silver silver is much longer than either of the other two um but uh gold to me i stack up the golden age and silver age as equally important in my comics of superman uh yeah i mean because they they're very different they do very different things with the character but i don't think you can have the Silver Age without the foundations that were laid in the Golden Age. No. And um, oh, one of the other big things in Superman was the incorporation of Superboy into his backstory. Yes. Like they, they finally started acknowledging in the Superman stories that he had been Superboy. Um, and you get your first Luthor meets Superboy story, which is when Luthor actually gets a first name. Lex Luthor doesn't have a first name until 1960. Wow, I'm not you know, sure I knew 20, that. That's amazing. Yeah, 22 years, he's just Luthor. Um, which story did they, Do you remember which story off the top of your head? Whichever issue where uh, he meets Superboy and they uh, he's a, a new kid in Smallville and he loses his hair with the accident. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. The, the, the origin, of, of, the origin of, of Luthor's story was his first use of a first name. Okay, gotcha. All right, yeah, I can find that. Uh, one Weirdly... Of my- Superboy had fought Luthor two times before that, but it was an adult Luthor who still had hair. Interesting. And so they 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 uh, changed their minds about how that was going to work and de-age Luthor and, to have him be of, of an age with Superman. Because I read a story and did it for the show. Not you know, I think it was uh, it was a story where both Superboy and an adult Lex Luthor happened to be at the same place in the past. Okay. Superboy was watching a uh, a video or a story about Abe Lincoln being killed. So he thought he would go back and save Abe Lincoln from being killed. As you do. Even though Pa and Ma Kent says, I don't think you can do that, son. Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, well, he decided to do that anyway. And he's using his x-ray vision. He couldn't see him. Then he says, oh, there goes Mr. Lincoln. And he's going to go take a nap before the play and blah, blah. He's using So Superboy goes up and flies into what he thought was another room where he would uh, meet uh, Lincoln or something like that. But in comes an adult Lex Luthor with a hunk of red kryptonite. And the red kryptonite freezes Superboy. He can't move a muscle. Mm. Okay, and so it's two things going on. Lex being there for unrelated reasons to Lincoln had no idea basically why he would. He was there for some other thing to pick up something to take back with him to kill Superman or something. And he thought in his brain, this is really stupid. He says, so you've decided to come after me. But why you decided to send your younger self? I don't get that doesn't make sense. And Superboy's (laughs) frozen. He can't talk. 
So Lex is just monologuing all over the place about how smart he is and how he's going to be killing Superboy, which will end Superman's career. And he's just going on and on about all this stuff. And you can see in their double scenes back and forth between what Lincoln is doing and what Superboy is thinking and what Lex is saying. And then all of a sudden, pow, you hear the shot. And it dawns on, and Luther looks out and says, what's all that? What's going on out? Why are they carrying? That's the president. And then he looks at Superboy and says, you were here for that. And Superboy starts to cry. A tear comes down his eye. And Lex Luthor says, I'm a criminal, but I didn't know. If I had known, I didn't. And he's feeling guilty and bad. So he gets in his little time machine and flies away uh, angry and mad and and, uh, feeling bad that he now was the cause for the death of Abraham Lincoln. I remember that story. It's an amazing story. Uh, Otto Bender. And speaking of Otto Bender, you mentioned Otto Bender. Because he, um, he was a huge Captain Marvel creator in the 40s. Huge. And it goes on and on. This guy, we don't even, we don't think much about him. Because you hear the big names of, well, of course, Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel and Edmund Hamilton and some of the other big name writers of the time and artists. But then you start looking at just between like 1958 and 1961 or two the characters created by Otto Bender drawn by Al Plastino is um, if they just did that little group I mean it's it, mm-hmm. it, it's amazing Brainiac for one I mean it mm-hmm. the list Supergirl. goes on Supergirl the Bottle City of Candor I mean we go on Legion the Legion on and on just those two guys together created so much of what would become the standard go-to stuff in the silver day silver age edmund hamilton's stuff on world's finest comics is some of the best stuff that book ever did because honestly world's finest comics is often my least favorite book on the stands from the superman titles mine too um which it shouldn't be because superman and batman team of books should be awesome more often than it's not, but it, but Edmund Hamilton, Batman during a lot of that time was fighting weird aliens on other planets and traveling through time and stuff. And yes. he would just take Superman along for the ride. It would be, you know, yeah. a story I did not fiction. enjoy reading, but Edmund Hamilton comes along and he, he does a lot of interesting things. And one of the things that kind of stays, it's not an idea that's used very often, but it's such an iconic visual that you think it should be used more often is the composite Superman. No kidding. The one that's half Superman, half Batman, green skin with all the powers of the Legion. Super mega powerful bad dude. Should have his own comic instead of just making, what, three or four appearances in 60 years? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, he should. He's He is the most formidable of all of the enemies. And uh, that, yeah, he should have been. And those are some of the favorites. That's an Ed Hamilton. And... Uh, uh, but man, it, it, it's so good, so much of that. See, I, for some reason, as a kid, I didn't mind the uh, Batman and Detective comics that were a lot times alien, going to visit alien. They were doing what everybody else was doing. They just turned Batman into a science fiction character too. It's it's very much a cognitive thing. I mean, there's a there's a 1970 episode of Doctor Who where he's running a console, he's about to hop to benches, and someone's like, I didn't expect someone, you know, an old guy like you. He's like, 
what'd you expect? Someone like Batman at the controls? <laughs> and, yeah. you know, hopping dimensions with a console would not be something we would think of as a Batman thing nowadays. No, not but at all. But in 1970, where so much of his history up to that point had been alien and time travel stories, yeah. Yeah, yeah Batman's at the controls. He's wearing yeah. that thing. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to something here that... Uh, if it wasn't for John Wilson, uh, I would not be talking about this next issue. But we're going to find out, because I've not talked to John about this. We did not talk any of this before before uh, we, we get on the air here. So, the Silver Age of Superman, as they call, but it's really Silver Bronze Age, ended with uh, uh, a story... <clears throat> Uh, it went over Action Comics number, what number was it? I forgot. 583. 583 and Superman number... 423. 420. There we go. Thank you. And it was called Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Now, we're not going to do a a panel-by-panel panel breakdown of this story, because I don't think I could stand it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being a little prejudiced here already. But, uh, John, having the Silver and Bronze Age fresh in your mind when you got to this story now that has been touted in any top ten list of Superman you go to, whether it's, well, it doesn't matter, any comic book review site, anywhere on the web, anywhere, they'll put this in there in the top ten. Do you have it in your top ten? Superman stories of all time? I don't know. Because I'm of two minds on it. I mean, if you don't mind, I want to back up a little bit. So I I learned about whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, and some podcast as this too is going to cover it or something. And so it occurred to me to maybe read it while I was still in like the early sixties of Superman comics. And I decided not to. I decided at that point in time, and this is, you know, six, seven years ago, mm-hmm. to not read whatever happened to the man of tomorrow until I got there. And at the time it seemed like forever away, but I was like, I can do this. I remember saying to you, uh, have you read it yet? And you told me then, no, I haven't read it yet. I'm not going to. (laughs) Um, And so I read through all the bronze age books and, you know, um, ups and downs with my enjoyment level. And of the bronze, you get into yeah the bronze Uh age, the the seventies, early eighties, when you get into the era of Crisis on Infinite Earths, um, the Superman books are largely pretty flat. Yes, agreed. Um, there's not a whole lot that I enjoyed in there, which is what makes, you know, when we, when we talk about the show that I recently made at the end of the podcast, um, a little bit ironic, but I didn't know what I was getting myself into when I started it. Right. Um, so we're nearing the end, and... You know, Superman and Lois. Lois broke up with Superman around 1982-83. She went through a lot of life changes, and she realized that she did not want all of the space in her head that Superman was taking up to be taken up anymore. And she was done with it. Um, Around the same time... While she was processing those feelings, a really big international peace conference in the Middle East was going to happen, not going to happen, going to happen on and off. And so when she was not able to get the interviews with the peace leaders, she leaves 
and goes home to deal with her feelings. And whenever the conference is back on again and Morgan Edge and Perry White can't get in touch with Lois Lane, they send Lana out there. And so Lana takes this huge story that Lois was supposed to get and she covers it. Shortly after that, she and Clark start dating. Lana and Clark start dating. And from that point in 1983 until the end of the continuity, Lois Lane is a background character. She doesn't really do much to contribute to any story. Mindy Newell and Gray Morrow did a four-issue Lois Lane series that kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back until it was compressed into two double-sized issues and was released during the last month of Superman alongside whatever happened to The Man of Tomorrow, which is why I brought this up. And that's when you finally get some resurgence of the relationship dynamics. Because even though Clark and Lana are dating, you hardly ever see them do anything together. It's right. like there's a label on their relationship, but you don't really see any romance. Right. And a couple of times in that during the crisis when they hint that something's going to build or go in a certain direction, it never lasts more than an issue, more than the story at hand. So finally in the Lois Lane miniseries, you get some of this stuff, and it gives you a feeling of, now that they've reestablished these relationship dynamics, I'd like to see more of this, but then the series ends. <laughs> the, the continuity yeah, ends. Then it's over. So in that last month of Superman, you have the Lois Lane two-parter. You have DC Comics Presents 97, which is also an end story of Superman. Do you remember this one, Bob? Yes, I do. So that this was is a good when the series. Phantom like Zone the is revealed Comics to be presents. a... Yeah, DC Comics Presents was a, was a great series. This last issue is not a team-up story. No. Steve Gerber reveals that the Phantom Zone is actually a manifestation of a sentient entity who wants freedom and wants to figure out some other way of existence. So all the Phantom Zone criminals are loose in the material world again because this entity basically ousts them from its existence. Yeah. It bonds with Mixius mm-hmm. Pitalik. It rains Argo City of Kryptonite down on Metropolis in Washington, D.C., murdering so many people. And at the end... A god-level power makes his pillick, cackles off into the sunset, and Superman is left standing in the middle of a wasteland. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of pre-crisis Superman continuity. Until you get to whatever happened to the man tomorrow, and you get a totally different incompatible end to DC to Superman pre-crisis continuity. So which one you want to choose is up to you. I, I don't know. Yeah. So we get to whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. The... The basic, basic concept, not to get to plot by plot, is that it's 10 years in the future and Lois Lane is being interviewed about the last days of Superman. And you find out in the opening panels that things got really dark really fast. And basically over the course of the story, Superman's bad guys go over the top and Superman realizes that his family and friends are in trouble because he's been unmasked as Clark Kent or Clark Kent has been unmasked as Superman and uh, they gather in the fortress as a combination of Luthor and Brainiac. Um, Luthor with a Brainiac skull cap controlling his brain. Um, the Legion of Supervillains, the Kryptonite Man, they all attack the Fortress of Solitude. And um, one by one, all of Superman's supporting cast gets killed. Um, I say one by one, they all get killed. Crypto and Jimmy and Lana all get killed. Uh, Lois doesn't. Perry and Alice are hiding. They survive. And um, Superman is so angry at what has happened 
at first he just unleashes heat vision, almost kills Lightning Lord. Um, and the adults legion of supervillains realize that their things are too hot for their blood and they skadoosh away. Um, and Luthor, Brainiac combination, Luthor's body has been killed in the fight with Lana, Super Lana, and so he falls over dead. Uh, Brainiac's skull cap falls over kaput, nothing to power it anymore. And turns out that all of the motivation behind all of this going so over the top was Mixius Pidelic, who, as an immortal being, has spent the last 2,000 years being mischievous and has gotten bored. And so today he's decided instead of being mischievous, he's going to be evil for maybe a couple more thousand years. And his first evil deed was to ruin the life of Superman. And um, Superman's like, uh, you can't be allowed to live. I'm going to kill you. And he banishes Mixius Pidlick to the Phantom Zone. But at the exact same instant, <laughs> Mixius Pidlick banishes himself to the Fifth Dimension. And those two interdimensional forces rip Mixius Pidlick to shreds. Superman says, I meant to kill him. I did kill him. Superman can never kill. That's a lie. That's a lie. And walks into the gold kryptonite storage room, loses his powers, and Lois Lane never sees him again until you find out at the very end of the story that her husband for the last 10 years has actually been Superman powerless under a different name. Um, Working as a mechanic or something. Yeah. How did I like this story? Alan Moore is very skilled at breaking the toys in the toy box in a way that makes you feel bad that they're being broken. In other words, it was exceedingly poignant. When Kara shows up and says goodbye to Clark after she died in the crisis a year earlier. Right. And she's this little 15-year-old ball of sunshine. And everybody around her knows she's dead except her. And everyone in the Legion who's there with her knows that Superman's about to die. When Clark is in tears on that last page, I'm almost in tears. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to get a little verklempter as we're talking. Mm -hmm. Um, The death of Supergirl affected me a lot more than the death of a comic character should. But it did. Um, When... Lana hears with her super hearing Clark Kent talking about how he's only with Lana because things with Lois didn't work out. And while he loves Lana, he doesn't love her as much as she deserves to be loved, but he can never tell her that because um, she deserves better. She overhears that and flies off to fight the supervillains come hell or high water and dies in the process saying that nobody loved Clark as much as I did. Suicide by Lex. Yeah. And she gets some licks in. She, yeah, she gets some licks. uh, But, um, but yeah, so you feel these deaths and I finished the story going, wow, that was really intense. And I thought it was a very well done story. Did Alan Moore have to end pre-crisis Superman by breaking all of the toys in the toy box? I don't think that was necessary. <laughs> Did he do a really good job of it? Yes. So I'm kind of torn. Well, he, he broke the hell out of them. It was a really well done story that I did enjoy reading. and I did enjoy the sadness of it. But whenever someone says they don't like that story, I'm thinking, well, that's because everything just got destroyed. 
to pay the way for the new continuity instead of sending Superman and everybody off in a blade in a, in like a riding off to the sunset of happiness. The only people happy at the end of that story are Lois and Clark and their new superpowered baby. Exactly. And so, yeah, whenever he did for the man who has everything, you open the first two pages, you're like, Oh, Clark's living his best life on Krypton. That's fantastic. No one ever tells you in any of those Black Mercy stories later that the perfect world that he envisioned for himself started going to pot on page four. Mm -hmm. And for the rest of that story, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And Alan Moore breaks all of the Krypton toys. Well, he did that. He did that. And so whenever, just, just one other thought. Someone, when I was posting about these books, is like, I wish Alan Moore had gotten the series instead of the other guy. I was like, are you sure? Because <laughs> Alan Moore did Swamp Thing, which is great because it shoves all conventions out the door. Right. He did Miracle Man, which was a Superman Captain Marvel riff, which was great because it didn't have to adhere to any of the rules exactly. of those franchises. So Alan Moore, I think he did a great story. I just think that it's the kind of story you can only do once. He could only have done it at the end of the continuity. And it's kind of a weird way to transition because it feels like we're bringing in this new Superman by taking a dump all over the old Superman's family. Thank you. See there, that's the sentence right there for the Silver Age Superman. I have no problem with them saying, hey, we got a new direction we want to go. Here's the new guy. Hope you like him, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to come out. And even the ads at the time, finally a Superman you want to read. What? <laughs> what the f*** are you? Oh, okay. But you know what I'm saying? They dumped all over the Silver Age Superman. And my biggest complaint with this story is Superman himself. I have I have no problems with his friends, which is what they did, put their work suits on, their costumes on, Lana and Jimmy uh, as Queen Bee and Elastic Lad. They get out there. They do their best. The Justice League is outside. They can't get in. And, you know, they're going to get their ass kicked. Everybody in crypto is the one you hear the most about with uh, crypto's death. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, and I I totally agree with you. Every death is a tearjerker. This from about like you said from about the fourth page on, Alan Moore is saying, "Okay, now how do I get one more tear?" No, 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 that's really bad enough. That's bad, but you know, he's got to die. I'll kill him. Fine, he's gone, dead, and he just. All of these people are dying around Superman, while Superman seems to be cowering and hiding and crying in his fortress, instead of being out there in front leading the fight. He's letting everybody else do the fighting. Yeah, at the time that Don and Jimmy are heading out into the fight, he's having a hard time with Perry about his feelings, which was a good conversation to have, but you're right. He was sitting there talking while his friends were out there fighting and dying. And it was an interest. It, it, it's an unusual way to handle the character because he didn't lead the charge. He followed up on the charge to see Always, what was going on from the very beginning of this. I mean, the first, I think the, the opening scene was what the uh, 
they thought it was Prankster or Toy Man sending all those little Superman robots that explode and reveal it was. Yeah, it was identity. Prankster and Toy Man. They're the ones that sent the Superman robots that blow up the filming studio and shoot heat vision all over Clark Kent to burn away his clothes and reveal he's Superman. Right. And but he doesn't realize at the time that Mixius Pitlick was the one making them do that. Exactly. So uh, at the ending of this, let's just say, okay, Bob, you can go along with, with – uh, Superman cowering in the fortress while uh, all of his friends are dying outside defending him. Uh, okay, fine. We'll, we'll get along with that. Okay. But then we get to the very end of this thing. And it's 10 years have passed, which is how it starts. Like you said, 10 years. Now a reporter has come to interview Lois. So Lois has just given up everything, her writing and everything for the last mm. 10 years. What if, what if, what has she been doing? Her career. Her career. She gave up everything to do. Won the Pulitzer Prize, which, by the way, was only introduced into continuity with that Lois Lane miniseries. Yes. As uh, to my knowledge, even though it's like a thing for post-crisis Lois. Yes. Pre-crisis Lois as a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter wasn't really a thing until the very end of pre-crisis continuity. Exactly. But she did give it up. She gave up that. She gave it up. Career. Gave it up. For what, the two of them to live in an apartment, and he's a blue-collar guy with a little Clark Gable mustache, and smiling and winking, and, oh, things are just wonderful now. And then as they're walking off into the next room, all lovey-dovey as a happy little couple, the baby drops a, 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 a diamond from the coal it had been playing with. Why was there a bin of coal in their living room? In, in yeah, the future, which to them was <laughs> the future. Why was there a bin? There wouldn't have been a bin of coal there in 1986, let alone right, right. Uh, 96 or 2000 or whenever they. So then they have to raise a superpowered baby exactly. when neither one of them has superpowers. And can you imagine Aunt Lucy comes over and. Uh. And the ah. baby, you know, breaks her arm or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. I've been reading the, um, you know, the old pulp novel, Gladiator, that helped inspire the entire Superman thing from the beginning? Yes. I don't know if you've read that. I have not but read it. I saw that Jerry Siegel mentioned it in an interview. There's a lot about the raising of the superpowered child mm. that really has me thinking about how things might have gone for young Superboy, young pre-costume Superboy, you know? Right. Um, or... Uh, or Golden Age, I'm sorry, not Golden, yeah, Golden Age Superman. Golden Age Superman, when there was no Superboy, he just was a superpowered infant in the. He um, jumped out of the rocket in full costume, ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in some versions, yes. He was in the orphanage lifting cribs over his head. Right. So right. I think about, you know, Jordan Elliott, Clark's new name, Jor L. Uh, Jordan Elliott and Lois Elliott raising the superpowered baby. And having to like keep it secret and everything. And I think about a lot of the stuff in that Gladiator novel makes me think about how would this actually go? But yeah. um, See, I thought of that too. That's the part of this story that at the time I read this thing, I probably had a few tears or so, a few emotional feelings about crypto dying. And, and, and like you say, uh, uh, you know, the heartbreak of where Lucy died and, why wouldn't Superman know these things? Why wouldn't he be more aware? And it's like he brought all of his friends there and put them in different places so they wouldn't enter. Why weren't they all like in the living room? Doesn't the fortress have a living room or something? You can all sit around the table and, you know, talk this out. But um, 
the part about the baby, I did this. This is and what I did uh, at that point and have done several times since. Uh, this, this book came out in 1986, and they said it's 10 years in the future. So the story, Lois's interview, took place sometime in 96. They, the they baby, say 97, but yeah. Okay, 97. So the baby at that time looked like uh, not walking yet, so less than two years old. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll put the baby being uh, a one-year-old, now super baby, already showing powers, like a Silver Age super baby would. A modern super baby would not get it until puberty or something. But, um, yes, a Silver Age super baby would get it. So that puts him at, uh, so you go, uh, 10 years would be 2007, right? Mm-hmm. 20 years, 2017. So they could be doing a book right now, right now, of that super baby. Interesting. Right now. It could be a modern story of Earth 1, Earth 2, wherever they put these uh, uh, Silver Age guys, whatever Earth they're on. That kid is now the Superman. What happened with being uh, brought up by a powerless Superman and Lois in the city? Did they have to do what the TV show has done? Get out of the city and move to the country to help with these kids? What? See... uh, you want my Silver Age money back, DC? <laughs> do that. Do that. Let's see that Superman. Because I, I do think it's a little interesting what they're doing in modern comics. It's almost tempted me to go back. Because now the Superman title is Superman, Son of Kal-El. Mm-hmm. So they're basically doing this. But with the... Uh, with the modern characters. Modern yeah. characters. So uh, I'm not opposed to that. I think I've never been really opposed to weird stuff. My op- opposition to it is that it takes too long to tell a story and it's too expensive. People think I didn't like stories about Superman not being Superman or something weird. No, those are fine. Those are fine. Give up your secret identity if you want to. That's fine. Just don't do it for three years in one story that's going to cost me 120 bucks to read. <laughs> I ain't going to read it. Right. So that's what I think comic books right now needs to figure out. Uh, I think you and I are in a similar place with this book, but uh, I think you still have better feel. I took it very personally mm-hmm. when I read this I, book for the first time because it, it was with no knowledge that there was a John Byrne thing coming. It was with no knowledge of what was happening at DC or what was it was I've just got my comics, I'm reading them and I'm going, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine what I've been reading comics for thirty years. What the hell is this? Why are you kill and I'm I looked back at the cover. Where's the word imaginary? What's going on? No no imaginary no what is this? This well, the imaginary is in the opening caption. Yeah, but and but. in this second issue, it's it's there by the title. It's an imaginary story started in Superman four twenty three. So it's there, but but then shortly after that, you find out that Superman, and not only that Superman, but all of the people who made up that Superman are gone. Are gone. The writers are gone. The artists are gone. They didn't just move over to. 
Catwoman or something, or they didn't just tell Kurt Swan, hey, thanks for all the fun. Uh, would you like to go back to drawing Tommy tomorrow for us? We're going to revive this and let you. They didn't do any of that. They just said, thanks for the memories, but you're gone. We got this guy, John Byrne. And when I first read John Byrne, when I first read The Man of Steel, I told this on Michael Bailey's show. When I first read that very first issue, I thought, who the hell is John Byrne and what have you done to my Superman? (laughs) (laughs) That first issue is, is an interesting piece. I just read it. Now, I've read The Man of Steel probably a half dozen times. Right. But it's been a few years since the last time, and I've been immersed in Earth-1, Earth-2, Multiverse, Crisis, Bronze Age, (laughs) Superman. (laughs) And opening that up, and of course he was going for an alien feeling for that Krypton, but I'll tell you it jumped off the page as being alien and bizarre and something else. Um, And just the different kind of sentiments around Clark and becoming, um, you know, the fact he was playing football and was using his you know, barely using his powers, and uh, the the story takes a few chronological leaps over stuff that he comes back to later, right. just so we can get to the costume by the end of the first issue. Right. But um. But yeah, that first issue is definitely a cognitive shift from it was what a had gone before. That couldn't wait to explode. It needed to explode. That's what they. That's how they describe it. Yep. Yep. It needed to explode, and that's the attitude that they have basically taken with Krypton uh, since then. That mm-hmm. that it's a planet that, because of its own lust, because of its own short-sightedness, because of its own greed and power lust, it must be destroyed. So instead and, of a utopia, it's a cautionary tale. Exactly. And uh, that's fine. I mean, you know, it's a foreign planet, and its real purpose is to birth Superman and get him here. Um as Andy Leland would say, its real purpose is to blow up. Uh, yeah, what did you? Let's let's let's. Uh, I don't want to take the rest of your evening here, but let's tell me now that you have done what very few people on the planet have done: read every Superman title from beginning to 1986. What do you what do you kind of pull away from there? Is it still a character that interests you to keep going? Is it somebody you're thinking? All right, I've done what I set out to do. Now I need to move on to Green Lantern or something. No, the, the, yeah, I, I'm going to keep going. There's my feelings of Superman are, 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 I don't know if they're unusual or not. They feel like they they're unusual, but Superman stories are often not great stories. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of dreck out there that's about Superman, and that's that's fine. Yeah. Um, I read this. I read the character for the character. And I enjoy the good stories when they come. And whenever Superman is really firing creatively, I get excited. And it's Mm -hmm. just really great. Yeah. Um, But, you know, Bob, I'm not a religious person. I used to be a long time ago. and I just don't have any use for it now. Right. But I think that the parts of my brain that might have affinity for religious thought are where my Superman lies. Mm -hmm. Um, He is... He's my ideal as far as a, a, a human being goes, as far as a person that I would like to be like right. is. And um, and so I want to keep reading Superman. There's, so that's one big part of it. There's also the completism va- aspect of it. I really want to have read all of 
something in comics and mm. i've done read-throughs of spider-man that stalled out in the 90s read-throughs of x-men that stalled out in the 90s my post-crisis read-through of superman stalled out in the 90s but i'd really like to the, the this attempt from the beginning to make it you know to make it through make it through keep on going and will yeah. it take a really long time for me to get to 2021 sure will yeah will i be a lot older and grayer when i get there Sure will, mm-hmm. but I'm going to keep on going and keep on trying and keep on reading the stories because yeah. I know that where I am right now, there's a lot of stuff in front of me that I really, 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 really like. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff in me in front of me that I've heard of that sounds appealing that I haven't read ever before in my life. So, yeah, I want to keep going. Um, I am probably past the point where the holes in the myth are going to be showing themselves. Right. I made the passing joke earlier about Superman not killing being a lie because he has <laughs> killed so many times. So many times. So many so times. So many times. Um, and there are other things about the, the mythos and the legend that just, you know, well, the thing we said earlier about, about his parents being like his big motivating factors as far as morality goes. Just... Not in no, the 60s. Was it, was it true in the 60s or the 70s yeah. or the, before the 60s? It just wasn't a thing. Yeah. Um, so finding out what really happened and how things really are and understanding Superman, I, I get a charge out of that. Um, it probably feeds my ego because I really like being right. <laughs> but you can't be right unless you are right. And so right. knowing what's right and knowing how things really go is a big, you know, important component of that you can't just read what somebody wrote about something and know that you're right because exactly you, you didn't read it yourself you and that's what i'm doing um so there's a lot going on with why i'm continuing this project i just at the end of the day i just i enjoy reading the stories um i enjoy reading the bad ones because then i have experienced that superman story and i know that that's how things were and that is an aspect of the character that i didn't know before now i do did i enjoy the reading, no, but I enjoy the fact that I now have read it. Right. Because some of the reading was fun. Some of it was like, oh, my God, I don't want to read another story where Lois tries to figure out if he is or not. <laughs> you know? One thing to say about whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, George Perez inked the first issue. Kurt Schaffenberger inked the second issue. But it looks like Kurt Swan throughout. I know. Yeah, it's, if you don't read the credits, it feels like a single creative team. It, exactly. It is... And I've said this before. It is one of the most beautiful Superman comics I've ever hated in my life. <laughs> I, I, it is. Kurt Swan is on his game. This is the thing that's also so sad about Schaffenberger and Swan leaving. Because you look at that issue and you say, well, who's old? Who's stale? Who's? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. It just didn't kick in until... Um, well, until the other guys came in, uh, until uh, Jeff Johns and and uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank on the names now. Like the 2006 ish era. Yeah, but even a little before that. But but uh, 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 it was the Jeff Johns Brainiac that got me back in actually reading him again. Right. So uh, around the 2005 six era, I guess. But uh, anyway, it's been a long, long journey for the Man of Steel, and he has been so different in all of those eras. But there is always still something, still a little, a little something that 
you can pick up on that if you're a hardcore Superman fan, you'll find it in the radio show, in the Max Fleischer cartoons, in George Reeves. Uh, he's there, you know. Uh, you just kind of have to look for him sometimes. I had to go back and really look through John Byrne's work, the early. So I had to do a little like you're doing. I didn't do the, the hardcore that you did. But I went back and read those first six because I did a an episode with Mike Bailey about it and uh, the Man of Steel and... Uh, and then, you know, I'm following Mike and Jeffrey over on From Crisis to Crisis. So I'll, yeah, I'll, I don't tell them this, but I'll, I'll kind of pull those books out and reread those. I'm almost looking forward to them getting to the Superman red, blue electric stuff. Yeah. Because in my brain, I was not ready for that when it came out. A lot of people weren't. And you were talking earlier about, you know, difference between reading stuff as it comes out versus reading it all together. Yes. And there are two very different reading energies. Reading new comics and being invested in the stories as they're happening and having to wait for the next chapter right. is a very different kind of energy because for one thing, everything that happens feels permanent everything that happens feels like oh my gosh this is just the way things are now and if it's a change that you're not ready for or willing to accept then it can feel pretty jarring but eventually things come back around now i haven't read new superman since just after bendis took over i didn't bail because of bendis i bailed because i stopped reading new comics altogether because of how much energy it takes in my brain right um, I gave but, him 22 issues. I did 22 issues into the burn. I mean, into the uh, Bendis run. Uh, Bendis and John Romita run. But I, the um, the whole you know losing the super identity, yeah. his son aging up and taking over the role. Yeah. Those feel like some pretty permanent things. It does. But when we're five years in the future, and looking back. Who knows? Who knows? Because New Fifty Two is supposed to last forever. Exactly. And it's not. Um, Superman Red, Superman Blue lasted. Superman Red, Superman Blue was supposed to, you know, it did last for a while, but eventually it ended. It, it does. You just wrapped up your show with uh, Mr. Kaiser, right? So, yeah. Um, for the last three years, I was doing a weekly Marvel show with Michael Kaiser called Make Hours Marvel, and that's still out there. And that was a um, that was a weekly journey through the beginning of the Marvel Universe, covering all of the Marvel Universe comics in the order they were published. And uh, it's one of those open-ended projects that's just going to keep on going until it can't anymore, and we got to the point where we couldn't anymore. Uh, um, so we put the lid on that. But this summer, um, I realized that I wanted to do something to commemorate the fact that I had finally reached Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, you've reached the goal. Yeah, so when you're when you're reading <laughs> a DC Comics character from 1938, the the crisis is like this huge boundary line, 50 year anniversary of DC Comics, and of course for Superman it's a really really big deal because it shakes up his entire continuity. And I wasn't sure for a while what I wanted to do if I wanted to like tweet blog my way through him or what. And I eventually decided that do what I'm good at. I made a podcast, so um, I have a huge smile on my face right now, folks. You can't. <laughs> tell but yes i did it all before i was going to release any of them because i wanted to do it and get Mm -hmm. it done i didn't want to release it if i wasn't going to finish it and so i came up with the format and i came up with a little bit of a gimmick for its release and so here's the deal superman in crisis 
is a podcast chronicling the twilight adventures of the man of steel and his family of characters. I'm looking at and reviewing every issue of crisis on infinite earths, beginning with crisis on infinite earths. Number one that came out on January 3rd, 1985, Mm. but also every Superman adventure that was published alongside them. Mm. So DC comics presents, I think I start around 81, 82, whatever that January 85 issue was. Yeah. Uh, Superman, action um and i just every superman or superman family character appearance during crisis on infinite earths i go through i podcast about them and then once crisis is over at the end of 85 i continued on all the way up to the end of superman in june of 1986 and what i'm going to do is i'm going to release them on the day the comics were released just <laughs> In the new year instead of in 1985. So there's a 30s, there's a constant 37 year gap. Wonderful. So January 3rd, 85 was Crisis One and DC Comics Presents Something. Uh, January 10 was a Superman issue. January 24 was an action comics issue. And I'm going through and I'm, I'm doing all of them as they came out. And so they'll release weekly unless there wasn't a Superman book that week, in which case I'll do a skip week. But, um, but yeah, so it's going to take about a year and a half to come out over 2022 and the first half of 2023. Wonderful. I am excited. I can't wait to hear this. It's going to be great. It's just, it's John Wilson doing what he does best, man. Reading I comics and enjoyed. talking about them. It's me walking through the story, talking about what happens and how I feel about it and thoughts I had along the way. It's just kind of what I do when I do a solo show. Just talk my way through the story and, and how I reacted to it. Yeah. Wonderful. I am. Uh, I can't wait. That's going to be great. And you'll come back and talk about it. Yeah. When it gets closer to the release, you'll come back and we'll do that. I can this. do that. Yeah, we'll do that. That'll be fun. Uh, Where is it going to be? I don't know yet as far as websites, but you'll right. find it in your podcatchers somewhere. It'll, Superman it'll be, in Crisis. It'll be year. there, and I'll let all my guys and gals know uh, when it's there. Because I'm going to get the page back up and running, too. So everything here is going to be back up and running uh, by then. So... Uh, uh, this is terrific. I think I hope there's more new stuff coming for 22. I think we've all been down long enough, don't you? Mm-hmm. I'd like to turn a corner here and, you know, smile a few more times and laugh, <laughs> have some fun. Show so, me that uh, smile again. <laughs> so, what do you, what do you, uh, what are your final words here about uh, your la- your project? You. It was worthwhile. Um, You're glad you did it, but I'm sure I'm glad I did. I don't know if there's a single other person on the planet who is alive and has read all of these comics. I honestly don't know. Mm -mm. I know that there are a number of people who have read everything from the Man of Steel number one forward. Right. And so combine me with one of those people and we'll have a complete super fan. Yeah. But um, that's amazing. I mean, I've read a tremendous amount of Silver Age Superman comic books. Mm -hmm. You know, not that I own them all, but, you know, the Internet's a wonderful place sometimes. And you can find things that you have. But I I wouldn't have done this project without the Internet being a place. Way more than I did as a kid. I filled in blanks and stories, and I've gone back and read stories that I read and uh, went, what? Wait, wait a minute. That was where? In what issue? No, I, I was listening to Billy Hogan's uh, show the other day. Uh, on Billy's show now, I, I'm so far behind. I'll just go and pick out issues that he's talking about that I want to hear him talk about. And I'm listening to this. I said, oh, I remember that story. 
No, I only remember the cover story. Apparently, I didn't remember a damn thing about that comic. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's just amazing that you have now read all of those stories. That's just terrific. John, thank you, buddy. This has been just one of those conversations that could, for me, go on all night. I, I enjoy <laughs> talking to John Wilson about Superman comic books. And uh, pretty much anything in life, actually, come to think of it. I, uh, I tweet about them all the time over on Twitter, so you can find me at John Reads Comics. There's no H. And um, lots of Superman thoughts and other random stuff, too. I'm, I'm still, even though the Marvel show is over, I'm still continuing on with my Marvel read-through. So Good. I try to knock out one or two Marvel comics every day from the 60s and two or three Superman comics every day from the 80s, and that's my daily allotment. I don't always get through it because other stuff happens, but that's my goal each day is one or two Marvels and two or three Supermans. And John reads comics at uh, on Twitter. On Twitter, yep. Yeah, I'm not on Twitter still. No, you're not, but you and I are on Facebook together. Yeah, we're always on Facebook together sometimes there. Uh, I never go to that Silver Age Superman group anymore that we used to be a part of. I never – I just – once I got past the Silver Age, I never went back there anymore. I know. That's just sad. Cause we miss your posts. <laughs> I just miss your posts. Your Actually, uh, well, not, there, there was a DC group I was a part of that was um, – I was having a grand old time posting there until um, the uh, admin texted me or Prime's messaged me and told me to stop making – gay friendly and gay positive references and humor and shipping jokes and everything because well then he's just telling john wilson not to post yeah so i left that group yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. my home after i left silver age superman i went to this i'm not going to say the name of the group right um but and now i'm over at uh, i do have a lot of facebook posts at um dc comic fans 1935 to present and DC Comics Positivity page are the two groups I'm pretty active in. This has been a treat. This is always a treat to talk to John M. Wilson about Superman. And I appreciate you having me on. And for those of you who have emailed or put it on the website, uh, Bob, here's a great story you should talk about. Okay, I just did, okay? <laughs> you don't have to ask me anymore about whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. Thank you, John. I am... Uh, so grateful. Love you, man. You're just a terrific guy. Appreciate it. Love you too, Bob. So glad we got to do this. Thanks for having me. Okay. 